Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is sponsored by SJNL General Contractors. They are licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee, and they provide services such as mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you need any of these services, contact them 931-433-4660, 931-433-4660. Also, they are in need of heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, CDL dump truck drivers, and pipe layers. If you're interested in employment with this family-owned business, you can go to the website www.sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. Coach Houston at Oxford High School wanted us to be well-rounded athletes. Every semester, he would teach us a new sport, a new skill. We would learn the rules. We would learn the procedures. And we would get lots and lots of practice. We played tennis. We learned the fundamentals of tumbling. He taught us the ins and outs of basketball. We learned about weight training and conditioning. And one fateful semester, he taught us to wrestle. Now, he'd repeated this thing several times. I can remember being in the sixth grade and getting destroyed by Mark Quick in a one-on-one wrestling match. But this was my junior year in high school. I was very good friends with a kid named Mike O'Neill. Mike was not interested in things athletic. Mike had built a left-handed guitar, and he wanted to be able to play like Jimi Hendrix. Mike was a gifted artist, was uninterested in anything that had to do with wrestling. Mike had never made an A in P.E., according to my memory. But we were paired up, a tall, skinny kid and a short, skinny kid, at the towering five-foot even that I graduated high school at, I weighed 145 pounds. Mike was my drilling partner, and we would go through the sequences of learning the sit-outs and the switches and, and the wrestling techniques for pins and how to score points. Coach Houston announced that at the end of the semester, we would wrestle. The guy that we had been working out with for the semester would pair up, and, and we would wrestle, and the winner of the match would be awarded an A for the class, and the loser would be awarded a B. I'd made plenty of A's in PE. I was not a gifted athlete. I did not play any sport for the school, but I was okay. And so I decided this particular occasion I could afford one B and had decided that when the day of the wrestle-offs came, I was going to take a dive in the match and Mike O'Neill was going to pin me and he was going to get his first A in PE. As we sat around the mats, Coach Houston would call the boys out. He looked at O'Neill, pointed in that voice of his, said, O'Neill, get out here. O'Neill went out. He didn't call me. Somebody else came out on the mat and, and obliterated Mike O'Neill. I was incensed. I was frustrated. I was angry. Coach Houston pointed to me, Jones. I came out on the mat. And some kid emerged from his office, and Coach paired me up with him. And I did my dead-level best to murder him. I don't remember now how quickly it was, but I pinned the boy. After class, and after we'd gone to the lockers and cleaned up, I was getting ready to leave the gym, and Coach Houston pulled me aside and said, Jones, 
I, I really want you to consider wrestling for me this spring. I coach my dad not going to let me wrestle. My, my mom won't let me play football. I appreciate it, but I'm no, 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 you don't understand. You'd be competitive at your weight class. You'd have a chance to place in state. I want you to wrestle for me this spring. Well, I went home and I asked my dad. I said, please, dad, let me wrestle. We had talked about it and I pleaded and dad said, finally, if that's really what you want to do, I think it'd be okay with us. And and that's when I began to talk to God about wrestling. And I said, please, God, let me wrestle. In fact, in the foolishness of being a, a young boy, I promised God that if he would let me wrestle, that for every minute I spent on that mat, I'd spend a minute with the Bible. Now, I cheated a little. I, I remember opening my Bible up and memorizing Scripture while I was doing push-ups. I would go every afternoon down to the wrestling room and do the drills and climb the rope and do the push-ups and run the miles. And as the weeks progressed toward the tryouts for wrestling, a thing that Coach called wrestle-offs, where you wrestle the people in your weight class, and depending on how many wins you get, you get placed somewhere on the roster or not on the roster at all. My telephone rang. A guy named John Rice. John had been a youth minister at my church when I was just a little boy, and, and actually he's the guy who baptized me. He said, Lonnie, I want you to come to a church in Anniston, Alabama, and I want you to teach a Bible class on Wednesday night. Could you do about a 20 to 30-minute Bible class? And I had been doing some public speaking and leading in worship services a long, long time. And I, yeah, John, I'll come up and do that. So I drove across uh, the city to Anniston and gave this little Bible class with a handful of teenagers. And then John said, hey, I'd like you to consider coming back on Sunday and doing another class. Well, I returned and did the class. That Sunday afternoon, John and the leaders of the church at 25th and Noble Street Church of Christ said, hey, we'd like to offer you a proposition. We'd like you to come every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday and work with our students. You'd teach a class and you'd work with the little children in the, the pre-worship service called the Pew Packers. And uh, you'd even go to summer camp and we would, we would pay your gas money and we would call you our youth minister. Only problem is we have a staff meeting every Thursday at 4 o'clock, and as a member of our staff, you'll be required to attend. I was both terrified and excited. The next day at school, I asked Coach Houston if I could see him in his office, and I said, Coach, I've been working out with you guys and, and the wrestling team, and I got this opportunity to, to work with this church, and I'd have to miss every Thursday in order to work at this church. And Coach Houston said, now, Lonnie, I can't make an exception for you. You know I want you to wrestle, but you're either going to attend all the practices or none of the practices. And I made a decision not to wrestle for Oxford High School and made a decision to be a youth minister. It's pretty cool to be a junior in high school and be a youth minister. You get to lead the little children's classes. You get to preach once a month. You get to be a director at camp. You get to speak at big events. and it, it's, it's, it was a very humbling, rewarding, and educational thing to be a youth minister. But when you get to be a youth minister, the, 
they don't tell you that you'll ever have to bury one of the children. Ministers do weddings and ministers do funerals. But they never told me about doing a funeral for a child. I have been exposed to trauma both personally and as a minister. I'm very familiar with death. My grandfather was killed in an automobile accident with his brother on the day that their sister had died. I remember walking up the driveway and seeing my dad standing in the door, and it was the first time I'd ever seen my dad look old. I'm very familiar with death. But with the children, I was just unprepared for the size of the coffin. I remember one little one. It had only lived long enough to get a name. And the parents had asked me to be involved in in the funeral service, not because they were at my church, but just because sometimes as a minister, you're just known. If you're a minister in a small town, you're like a member of the city council. There's the mayor, there's the council, there's the sheriff, there's the guy who's the president of the co-op, there's the president of the bank, and then there's the local minister. And because you're known, sometimes people contact you, not because they know you, just because you're known. And I did a paltry job trying to speak words of wisdom and words of comfort. And then the funeral director came and said, now we're going to, uh, we're going to place the body in, in the earth. Everyone, please walk away from the canopy and, and we'll let you come back after the grave is closed. Everybody left except this little mom. And she was just sitting there. And we waited, and, and I finally came and knelt and said, Look, they're going to open up the grave. They're going to move the, the green carpets back, and, and they're going to place the body in, in, in the earth. And they don't want you to see that. And this little mom with tears in her eyes says, But I'm, I'm afraid they'll lose her. And, and I said, I, 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 I'm sorry. And she had a little blanket in her lap, and when she unfolded the blanket, there was this, looked like a stainless steel egg. And the little body had been cremated, and the ashes of, of the little body would fit in this little stainless steel egg. And she said, I'm afraid they'll lose her. And I said, well, I'll make sure that, that they don't. And I'll put her in the ground myself, and I'll stand here till it's done. The little girl gave me the stainless steel egg, and she walked away. When the funeral director moved the carpet, there wasn't a square hole in the ground that I was used to. It was a, a post hole. And I laid on my belly. My, my arms are, are short. I could not reach the bottom of the, the hole. 
And I laid on my stomach in my suit and I placed this little egg in the ground. And I watched the funeral director shovel dirt into it. And I walked away. Yeah, when they let you be a youth minister, they don't tell you about the traumatic deaths of children. My last year as a full-time youth minister, when I just went into private practice, one of Lonnie Beth's babysitters was killed out on I-565 in a, in a car wreck. And in order to help Lonnie Beth understand some of this, I wrote something for her. Just recently, the, the deaths of children have been on my mind. And this is not deep wisdom. But today's the anniversary of one of those deaths. And if you've lost a child or know someone who lost a child or are grieving with someone who's lost a child, maybe what was going to be a children's book about death, maybe, just maybe, this might help. It was originally entitled, I Wish I Were a Butterfly. It was written for Kimberly. If caterpillars can be friends, these were the best of friends. They had all hatched from eggs on the same leaf, and they spent their days laughing, if caterpillars can laugh, and munching. Their world was limited to the plant that they had been born on and the leaves that they had munched on. Caterpillars aren't world travelers. They're homebodies. The most excitement a caterpillar might even see is when they have to tell scary stories about birds. One day, however, a real stir arose among them. One of them, one of the seniors, one of the ones who had hatched before the others, a sort of a leader, did something very strange. She went off by herself and began to spin a thick blanket around her body. She couldn't talk to the others and she couldn't munch with the others. She just spun her silk and she lay still. She didn't choose to. She had to. This is the way of caterpillars. Her friends didn't realize it, but it happens to all caterpillars. Several times her friend made de desperate attempts and desperate pleas for her to come out. She never answered. Days turned to weeks, and finally, during the night, the chrysalis broke open. The emerging butterfly filled and expanded her wings with fluid from her body to become thin and graceful. And then silently, under the moonlight, on silken wings, she slipped away. In the light of the following day, her friends found the empty shell 
that had contained her. It was broken. It was ruptured. And it was empty. They all cried. Many were afraid. They wept and wept and wept. High above them, floating on a breeze in the freedom of the open sky and sunshine, their sister could not understand their sorrow. She would have returned and told them, but they would not have believed it was her. She was so much more and so different than she had ever been that they would not have been able to understand. She might have even thought, don't cry. At least not for me. I would not return to being a caterpillar now, even if I could. Besides that, one day, one day you'll be changed just like me. Somewhere in Mexico, in the Central Highlands, there's a place where millions and millions of butterflies gather every year. The trees look like fall, with clumps of butterflies instead of leaves. The bright oranges are spectacular in the sunshine. It is a place all monarch butterflies know. No caterpillar has ever been there. No caterpillar can ever go there. No caterpillar has ever seen it or can even comprehend its existence. Yet, every butterfly knows what no caterpillar can even dream or imagine. There are 32 miles of cave passages in Cumberland Cavern. 333 feet underground is the Volcano Room. The Volcano Room is the site for the youth rally known as Erupt. It's an underground youth rally. It's an annual event. It takes place in October. The next Erupt is scheduled for October of 2021. Erupt is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. If you'd like more information, you may contact them at eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. That's eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. Or check out their website for more information. Three W's and a dot. Eruptyouthrally.com www.eruptyouthrally.com